my name's Fraser Campbell and this is who I am. I'm very good, thank you. Thank you for agreeing to do this. No problem, mate, no problem. So, um, you are, did you say you're in uh, Falkirk? Yes, I live in Falkirk in Scotland, yeah. Uh-huh, and is that where you grew up? No, no, uh, I grew up in, uh, well, I was born in uh, Lanarkshire and lived briefly uh, in Glasgow as a child, but I uh, grew up in Ayrshire, mm-hmm. in Darvo, uh, which is... Uh, a wee town in the Irvine Valley, uh, which is quite, uh, but the biggest or the nearest decent-sized town is Kilmarnock. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's where I grew up. Quite a small, uh, semi, semi-rural uh, place. Quite a lot of farms round about. Uh, so it was quite. Uh, if you like, if you like, <laughs> if you like being outdoors and doing outdoorsy stuff, it was it's quite an idyllic mm-hmm. place. Uh, but if you're more, I don't know. If you're more kind of, you, you, if you live in your own head, it's kind of, kind of, it was kind of a boring place to grow up. Mm, which one are you? Uh, yeah, p- probably a mixture, I guess. But I think la- as I got older, probably uh, more the latter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's, you know, there's, there's these kind of towns that there are there are people who stay there all their lives, and uh, they really love the fact that everybody knows who they are and. And 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 you know everybody knows each other's business and they find that really comforting and that's their you know the sort of basis of of what they consider to be community. Whereas other folk, uh, I think, find that absolutely abhorrent mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and 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 need to get out as soon as they can. So that I think as I as I got older, that 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 became me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, it's not it's not somewhere I go back to very often, to be honest. Mm. Did you, uh, was it college that got you out or did you get out earlier than that? Yeah, it was college. I went to college in Kilmarnock, funnily enough, uh, where, uh, where I met my, my friend and collaborator Ian Laurie mm-hmm. uh, in, in, the, in the early 90s. And, uh, and I went from, from there, I went to uh, Caledonian University in Glasgow. Mm. And uh, my, my wife and I moved to Glasgow as a result of that. Mm. What did you study? Ah, uh, well, the, the, the most important uh, discipline of all, communications and mass media. <laughs> yeah. it's utterly useless. Uh, well, it's not, it's not in many ways. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it's probably considered or joked about as one of the most useless disciplines out there. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I enjoyed it. I thought it was, uh, I had a great time when I was there, learned a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that said, uh my my knowledge of uh, Lacan doesn't figure much in my daily life, uh, <laughs> and and Bath and, and people like that. It's uh, it's not something I uh, I frequently go back to. But yeah, no, it was a good uh, it was good. I enjoyed it. I made a lot of good friends there. Uh, learned a lot about myself there. Mm. Gained a lot of confidence from achieving things there. Uh, so yeah, it was it was a really good experience. Mm. Did you go there because you you had a plan to to use that? Uh, degree 
to to do something beyond that, or did you go to college uh, to? Absolutely go? not. No, I, I went there because I had no plan. Right. Uh, <laughs> it was just it was just a means of escape. It was generally. I mean, I I grew up in uh, well the 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 late eighties and early nineties where jobs weren't particularly plentiful here, mm-hmm. and uh, particularly when I was a, a you know I was a teenager just going into the job market, it was like twenty percent unemployment and. Uh, in Kilmarnock, mm. uh, which is an official figure, is obviously very high. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, factories were closing down. And obviously it was just during that period where, I guess, Britain was going from a place, was turning in, you know, it was turning from a place that made stuff into a place that, you know, provided third-party services. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which, which it mostly does now. Mm. Uh, and, that, and that's kind of, you know, that's kind of turning around and dying and, and, and becoming something else again. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there was a lot of the, 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 where I lived, Kilmarnock and the Urban Valley. Uh, there were lace mills in Darvo, uh, and uh, because the the humidity and the uh, the, the weather in Darvo is particularly conducive to making lace and muslin and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there were the, there were textile factories there, uh, but they gradually all closed down. I think they are. I, I mean, I think there are some concerns still going, but uh, but they used to employ like the whole town and. By the time I was a teenager, they employed you know a fraction of that, mm. uh, and it was the same in Kilmarnock. Kilmarnock was uh, a big textiles place, uh, and, and and had a number of factories and dyers and, and various others, various other sort of associated uh, places. But that all sort of went. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was kind of you know it was it was kind of like you know. It, it, I guess university was kind of like an escape pod, really. Mm-hmm. I was like, I've got to go and do something. I, I don't know what I want to do, but I want to, you know, I don't want to sit on the dole or, you know, I, and, and and it just seemed like, well, getting an education in something mm. uh, seemed like a, seemed like a, a, a thing to do uh, and, and, and be, you know, giving myself a wee bit more uh, of a prospect out there. Mm-hmm. Were there um, uh, uh, what are they called? Like uh, the societies that they have at, at your uh, college? Were you able to, to do other stuff that wasn't connected to the course that um, that, that got you into to different groups? And not really. I mean, no, not really. I'm sure there were those things, and I think it, <laughs> at one point I was in. A, 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 I don't know if you remember this old video game called Sensible Soccer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which was, <laughs> Oh, which yeah. was an old, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a, re- a really cool uh, wee soccer game. Mm-hmm. I was in a league for that, uh, but uh, apart from that, no. I mean, I, I, I made friends with maybe seven or eight people on my course, and we became really close, and we just hung out. We just hung out all the time, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, obviously, we drank heavily <laughs> uh, and uh, and bonded uh, bonded at the student union, and, and spent a lot of time together, and just having just you know just doing things that that people of that age do, having fun, staying out late, and uh, and uh, you know, oversharing mm. and all that kind of stuff. It was <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, I never really felt that. I was about halfway through the course when I realised that I wanted to write. Mm. Uh, I could because obviously you have to start thinking about what am I going to do next. Uh, and people, people from my course, for example, are now fairly prominent in advertising, public relations, television production. Uh, uh, but you know, and and a lot of that stuff is creative, but it's. Uh, you know, there's a lot of admin and management in there as well. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so I had this idea that I would become a writer and then I wouldn't have to, to do all that, <laughs> which is idiotic because obviously if you're a, a freelance writer, a, admin and <laughs> managing yourself and your, and your, you know, you marketing yourself is, is, is almost more than half the, mm-hmm. half the job. <laughs> uh, but I didn't realise that at the time. Mm. Uh, and I started, I started writing a novel when I was, uh, uh, when I was at university, which was terrible, and never got published. But that's uh, that's what sort of started me on that road. I declared to my friends that that's what I was going to do, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, yeah, so that was that was where that decision was made. Mm. How did the uh, comics come into it? How did you make the the choice to start writing comics? Oh, comics. Well, yeah. I mean, I've always been into comics uh, since I was a wee boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is something uh, that Ian and I have talked about quite a lot lately because we've been uh, we've been doing uh, promo for our our uh, Kickstarter that's uh, that just finished a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've been talking to to anybody who'll listen about that. <laughs> and we we both Ian and I both grew up in uh, in, in Ayrshire in different towns. So we kind of like had you know parallel lives really mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. We'd have we'd would have had a lot of the same experiences and a lot of the same influences and a lot of the same experiences in terms of like uh, exposure to things like comics. Hmm. When when I was we there, there weren't any specialist comic book shops. You, we had a a post office and a grocer's that got that sometimes got American comics, mm-hmm. but we usually got like British reprints. Yeah, uh, like uh, Rampage and Hulk and. Uh, I can't remember the one that had the Fantastic Four, but there was there was one called the Titans, which was like a, a landscape comic mm-hmm. where they could they'd half the pages to bulk out so that, so that they could so they could use the pages for longer and stuff like that. <laughs> Not that we knew anything about that at the time. It was just uh, it was just good to get comics, yeah. and obviously there was loads of British comics around as well. Uh, you know the uh, you know the Beano was on chips, and uh, as I got older, obviously stuff like Warlord, Roy the Rovers, uh, Battle Action. Uh, and Victor, you know, just anything. So I, I, I basically got, uh, you know, I would read anything I could get my hands on. Mm-hmm. There was a time, there was a time when uh, my mum was friendly uh, with this lady who had a, a couple of older sons, and uh, one of them moved out to university. So I got all of his hotspots, mm-hmm. which was uh, which was a pile that was almost as tall as I was. <laughs> and I can remember I, I would sit them in the, I, I sat them at the edge of my bed. And I just read one and then put that in the pile next to the big column. And uh, and then I would just read them one after the other for as long as I was allowed. And then once I got to the end of that, I would just start again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just I read comics voraciously until I was maybe about 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. And then I got interested in, in rock music and uh, started noticing girls and stuff like that. Mm. So I kind of fell away for a few years. And then in my in my teens, uh, I, I I sort of got back into them. There was a there was an article in Kerrang magazine, the heavy metal magazine, uh, by a journalist called Dave Dixon, mm-hmm. uh, who'd been talking about the revival of uh, you know American comics with uh, Frank Miller and Alan Moore and the British Invasion mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And and uh, I read that. It was just a two or three page article, but for some reason it just. Uh, you know, it just really fired me up. So I went, I, I, I found out there was this place in Glasgow that had just opened at that time called Forbidden Planet. 
Uh, and I went up there and uh, just spent every penny I had buying all the comics I'd seen <laughs> in this magazine. And that's been me ever since, really. Mm. Which and, ones uh, were you? So that was, that was, I guess, the late 80s. Yeah. So there was maybe a, maybe a hiatus of three or four years in between reading comics as a kid and comics just kind of appearing in the house and mm. then actually going out and, and building your own you know, your own reading list and your own collections kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Were, you, uh, were you reading other things as well, or, or did comics kind of dominate the, the landscape? Yeah, I think once I got into comics, they did dominate. I mean, I do read other things. Sometimes I, you know, I, I, I lament how few books I read, uh, but I'm trying to fix that this year. I, I, don't, I, I think I maybe only read maybe, maybe three or four books, and I, and I very rarely, it's, it's terrible to admit, I very rarely read novels. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is terrible to admit, or, or more to the point, I very rarely uh, finish novels. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll start them, but honestly, if something's not blown me away, and this is, yeah, you know, I've, I've got this rule with, with comics, uh, TV, or whatever. If something's not blown me away, I'll just stop mm-hmm. watching it uh, because you know life is short. Uh, but I'm reading a couple of things just now. I'm reading uh, the Left Hand of Darkness just now. Mm-hmm. Uh, by uh, Ursula K. Le Guin and I'm also reading uh, Annihilation mm-hmm. yeah find uh, because I really enjoyed that movie uh, and uh, you know that sounds uh, very uh, you know uh, I, did, I didn't know of the book beforehand uh, mm. but uh, I really enjoyed that film, so I thought I'd give the I'd give the book a bash. So I'm trying to, yeah, and I'm finding both of those quite entertaining. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I I read I read a lot of books uh, more when I was at college uh, because I think again I'm quite I'm quite easily led. I'm quite I'm quite easily influenced. <laughs> so if my if, if my peer group uh, I, you know, are telling me something's great, I'll, I'll, I'll try. So. I guess uh, back then, you know, most of the people that I, I was hanging around with weren't comic readers, so they would, uh, but they would read novels and and uh, uh, and, and recommend them. So I've probably read more then mm-hmm. uh, than I do now. But I, as I say, I am trying to correct that because I did notice the last uh, the last wee uh, the last wee year or so that I wasn't uh, I wasn't keeping up with that. Hmm. Did you when you uh, when you went to Forbidden Planet? Did you go there um, with those names from the article in your mind and, and go in search of uh, Frank Miller and Alan Moore stuff? Or was I it... did, yeah. But when I was there, I kind of discovered I stumbled into uh, what I suppose a lot of people uh, would probably. Uh, well, I guess it's debatable, but I'd imagine a lot of people would agree that it was quite a golden age. Uh, of of comics, mm-hmm. uh, Vertigo obviously just just started, uh, and and there was stuff like uh, Sandman was coming out, and uh, Animal Man, Shade the Changing Man. I for some reason picked up uh, Anne Nascente and John Romita Junior's Daredevil because mm-hmm. I wanted to buy a couple. I was I was quite interested in obviously. A throwback from my childhood. I was quite interested in, you know, what was happening with superheroes, and I just happened to pick up, uh, uh, yeah, a couple of really good ones like that one and uh, Jerry Conway and uh, Sal Buscema's run on uh, Spectacular Spider-Man, which mm-hmm. is uh, not a, a, not a particularly celebrated run, but was very good. 
Yeah. And uh, so I was, uh, I, I just kind of locked into, I, th- I think, uh, you know, more or less anything I could have picked up mm-hmm. uh, was interesting at least. Uh, and, and you know, as, as things often are, I mean, and when comics, uh, you know, go through changes, you know, when, when something, some, some kind of new way of doing Doing a doing a style of comic book becomes popular. It's usually very it's usually quite interesting for a while, mm-hmm. uh, because obviously and and then you know obviously gradually gets stale over over, over the next few years as as that as that stops being new and interesting and starts becoming a template. Uh, as was the case obviously with Frank Miller's Daredevil, where all of a sudden everybody started writing it in that gritty style. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I think, as I say, I, I, I managed to find a few other things that were really interesting. For example, uh, Love and Rockets, mm-hmm. uh, which was mentioned in that article, but again, wasn't really, uh, you know, I, uh, that was the kind of eye-opener for me, that I, I didn't know that that people did these kinds of comics, did like sort of, you know, just character-driven dramas or autobiographical comics, other stuff that... Uh, Fantagraphics was publishing at the time, hmm. uh, and that, to be honest, uh, after I'd been reading comics for a couple of years in the early nineties, when the sort of slice of life comic exploded, that I, I got very into that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, stuff like uh, uh, Seth and uh, Chester Brown and mm-hmm. and Joe Matt and people like that, uh, and uh, and Peter Bags Hate, which I think. Probably still is my favourite comic hmm. ever, uh, and obviously the the other big one would be uh, Eight Ball by uh, Daniel Clowes. Yeah, uh, which was uh, again a uh, was one of the ones where where Ian and I overlap because he really he really enjoyed how abstract and, and odd that was. Hmm. Uh, so, so it seemed to me. I mean, that that, that kind of, when when I first went up to, to to buy these comics, I just wanted to see what was going on and and read these books that had been you know kind of well described in the uh, in the article I'd read. But what I discovered was there was there was a a sort of a literary world <laughs> within comics mm-hmm. that was uh, you know that had as many uh, avenues to go down as any other kind of medium. Mm. Uh, and uh, and as I say, after a while, I, I started to realise, from a creative perspective, that I had a lot of potential, and uh, and that you you know it was it, it wasn't just that it was a you, you could do anything in a comic, but you could do anything in a comic on a budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you could you could have a you know a, a, a space adventure, and it wouldn't you know yeah it wouldn't be as pie in the sky as uh, trying to make a, a a film or a short or something like that mm. uh, so i don't know i think that's probably what that took me into ian and i always did like sort of comic strips and and stuff like that when we were at college together and we did say uh, but that that was back in the days when uh, you, you know the production values that you could afford uh, being a college student weren't weren't great you know they weren't like they are now where you can really get something nicely done mm-hmm. for not a massive amount of money mm. uh, so really it was the kind of Z- it was the xerox zine era really mm. uh, we do, do these wea5 zines that we would sell in like local record shops and yeah and pubs just our friends uh which never really went anywhere <laughs> they were just fun to do yeah do you miss um, that do you miss that 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 kind of uh that um uh like lo-fi 
comic making that, that was happening with, with zines and with Xerox books? Well, no, not really. No, I mean, as, uh, to be honest, I'd, uh, you know, uh, nice production values hide a, mul- a multitude of sins. No, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. It's, uh, it's uh, yeah, to an extent, because, uh, you know, it really was kind of cheap and cheerful and very, uh, uh, you know, it was kind of fun trying to find the, you know, you'd go into copy stores and uh, you, you know, there would be like people behind the counter who were obviously used to just dealing with businesses and doing flyers and stuff or, mm-hmm. or banners or whatever it was they were used to doing. And there'd always be like, you know, one younger <laughs> younger person in the store who was looking, oh yeah, I kind of get what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you'd sort of hand plated up a, 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 a comic uh, on, on like A4 sheets. Or whatever it, you know, however it was, you did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that that was fun. Uh, and after, God, even even when I was well, no, I think it was after I finished university, I started doing a kind of satirical magazine hmm. uh, again with Ian and a few other friends and stuff like that. And it was really a kind of fake newspaper. Yeah. Uh, and and then you know, but uh, and then I found out about the Onion. Mm. And stop doing that because it just seemed pointless. Because the onion was the onion was was so much better. <laughs> uh, uh, so I just I, I kind of stopped that. But that was fun to do uh, for a few years. And again, that that got a bit of traction in Glasgow. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed. Yeah, I, I did enjoy doing all that. But to be honest, I, I, what I enjoy now uh, making comics, uh, I, I still I, I think you can still be. You know, as involved, and you know, one of the great things about doing your own comics is that you are kind of calling the shots. You're, you know, you're 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 deciding what something looks like and how it's communicated, and uh, and and you have uh, you have complete control over that more or less, as mm-hmm. long as you uh, make sure that the other people that you have on your team are people that you trust and people whose whose talent you 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 trust and respect, then. Uh, you know, you you still have all that. So that that independence is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I do all the things. Uh, I think more or less that a professional, a lot of small professional publishers would do. And as much as I use an editor for say for, for scripts, I don't use an editor for whole projects. To be fair, mm-hmm. uh, but I do use an editor to uh, to get you know, to help me get the best out of my script, to get mm. that extra sort of five or ten percent. Uh I, and and thereafter I'm kinda the showrunner if you like. Mm-hmm. Uh on most you know, well, pretty much all the stuff that we've done so far. Uh obviously that that's not to suggest that I do most of the work. Obviously I you know, I think everybody in comics has probably agreed that the, the lion's share of the work is done by by the artists who mm have to sit and, and draw all the nonsense that you've come up with. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so, so so yeah, so so but but I'm I'm the one who will uh try and you know send out the group tweets, try and make sure everybody's on pay on, on the same page with things, mm-hmm. uh set schedules, sort out promotion, uh although again as I say on, on you know on projects I've been involved in the other people have been really, you know, good and happy to muck in on that. Mm-hmm. Uh but uh, but yeah no so, so I think I, I don't know I mean no, I'm, I'm kind of uh, drilling into your question a wee bit and kind of second guessing what you're asking but, <laughs> uh, but I, for me the way that you can make comics now with the higher production values 
doesn't really detract from the fact that you're still making something yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's a nice cheap and cheerful punky aspect, I suppose, to doing a, a, an A5 zine that hardly anybody will see. But uh, and and it doesn't look very nice and is actually a struggle to read. Hmm. But uh, but to be honest, I mean I I prefer uh, making something nicer that you know is, is hopefully going to attract a bigger readership. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's great. That was uh, it was it was thought bubble and with the first thought bubble I went to in 2011 that really opened my eyes on that mm-hmm. uh, because uh, you know people had mentioned Ian and I had done a few things online. Uh, a few sort of online comics on Blogspot and stuff like that, uh, and uh, but I'd never really thought of actually making a comic until I went to to Thought Bubble and I saw what people were actually producing on their own, mm. and I realised well the you know the production values are, are more or less the same as a as a professional comic book company. Yeah. So uh, you know you, there, there's really the only difference is you know how how good you are. Yeah, uh, and obviously the other key difference is uh, you are one of, you know, nobody knows who you are. Basically, you're one of thousands of people who are making comics who are all, uh, you know, screaming into the void in terms of promoting their, <laughs> promoting their stuff. Uh, so that that's the big difference, and that's something that uh, I've worked very hard to try and uh, get better at. Because mm. uh, I think a lot of people, again, a lot of people sort of, you know, become artists. Uh, to avoid admin and to avoid that kind of, uh, you know, particularly, I don't know, it's a, it's a bit of a cliche, but I think American people and people from other countries generally are just better at <laughs> being confident mm-hmm. about themselves. It seems, you know, just, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who really find promoting themselves cringeworthy mm-hmm. in, in, in the UK. Really, really struggle with it. Uh, and but yeah, I think you know there's a way to do it without being, uh, you know, entirely obnoxious. I mm. think, mm-hmm. although I don't know if I've found it yet, <laughs> because uh, you know, I, I think. It's, I think when I promote something, uh, it's it's highly likely you'll know about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, if you you know if you follow me on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, then uh, you you will you will hear about it. Yeah, uh, I think there's been. But, the, the, but, the, but you have to use these tools. Yeah, uh, and uh, and that, that that to me is the key difference, I suppose, uh, from from being maybe you know and uh, in, in my teens making A five zines and being quite happy if twenty people buy it. Uh, to now where I'm really trying to uh, get as many people uh, interested as I can. Hmm. And that's a lot harder than it sounds. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you, you, you said there the tools. That I think that the um, the, the change in in way in platforms and, and the ways that you can get, like, um, you know, the idea that you can get a professional-looking comic book printed a lot easier now than you could uh, 20 years ago. And you have Kickstarter, and you have other ways of, of uh, announcing that things are happening, which has really helped it. How how soon after um, that the 2011 thought bubble, um, and you putting together your first book? How how quickly did that come about? From well, not quickly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was uh, I, I guess I went to Thought Bubble in 2011, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's when I first started thinking about it. Uh, but 
uh, back then I was more involved in uh, I did some I did some radio stuff uh, writing for radio and mm-hmm. I did some I did a couple of plays with my friend Tom Brogan uh, who's gone on uh, uh, as, a, as a solo playwright to yeah, he's, he's a really terrific playwright in, in Glasgow uh, and, and put stuff on every year at the comedy festival it, it's just gradually improved over the years and you know he's, he's well shot at me but we did uh, we did stuff we did a couple of productions back uh, back in those and, you know, and, that, and that obviously takes a bit of time mm-hmm. uh, so we did two plays maybe I guess 2012 13 or 20 you know, round about that period of time so I was doing other writing uh, what uh, you know I mean I, I, I a few folk will know about me, but maybe maybe not a lot of people know is that I do a reasonable amount of commercial uh, writing for. Uh, it's a weird job, really. I do <laughs> I do sort of comedy uh, Twitter stuff for mm-hmm. uh, for corporate accounts hmm. who uh, who a while back have realised that Twitter's kind of rubbish for promoting your company. <laughs> uh, and uh, and instead of just you know abandoning it or just doing occasional tweets about special offers, uh, decided to go with uh, you know with an idea that uh, a, a writer that uh, I worked with called Greg Stenkelman basically uh, sort of pioneered, which was really uh, doing a, a sort of co- a, a comedy, a sort of surreal comedy Twitter account. Mm-hmm. Uh, he kind of pioneered that on. On Betfair Poker's uh, Twitter feed, mm-hmm. which was uh, which was which was uh, sadly uh, uh, sadly laid to rest when uh, when Betfair were were, were taken over. Mm. Uh, uh, but uh, we had a good run on that, so I was brought into that. Uh, I was was working on that, and at that time again, probably between 2011 and 2015, when I when I eventually actually put a comic book out. Uh, I did a lot of that work, a lot, a lot, and uh, really didn't have much time uh, for other stuff because I was working full time as well. Uh, not a sort of you know your normal uh, square pay the pay the bills job, mm-hmm. and uh, and sort of topping up my income with all this other stuff, trying to see where that would lead, and uh, and so uh, I made the decision. I guess probably in 2014, when uh, you know obvious signs of strain were showing, uh, to you know, to, to first of all pare down uh, work at my main job, mm-hmm. and, and also to pare down the amount of uh, you know commercial writing contracts I accepted. So, uh, so yeah, because you know really the you know the the, the edges were starting to fray for me a wee bit. Uh, and that's when you know that one of the reasons for doing that was to give myself a bit of breathing space to do a creative project like a like a comic book. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, Ian Laurie comes back into the, the picture yet again. <laughs> uh, ourselves and some other friends went on this dream trip to uh, New York Comic Con in 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just one of those things that we you know we we, we talked about and. You know the, the stars aligned and everybody could do it, so we all went over there. And Ian at that time uh, was promoting a book he'd drawn called "And Then Emily Was Gone" with our friend uh, John Lee's, uh, the, the writer John Lee's from 
from Glasgow. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, a sort of horror, a uh, sort of dark, sort of uh, you know, weird horror set in the, in the Scottish Islands. However, it had become a, 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 a reasonable hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and so Ian uh, had some, uh, you know, he had some work to do when he was over there. He had some signing to do. He had, you know, he had to, uh, you know, spend some time with people who were, you know, who'd become fans of us. Mm. Uh, so, and, and it was, you know, kind of seeing how, seeing how John and Ian had done and, and being encouraged by them and being encouraged by some of the guys that I met over there were basically kind of, where's your comic? Hmm. You know, it's like I know you used to do comics with Ian. Where's your thing? And uh, Ian and I had done this thing called Mothwick again, another wee online thing that we'd done together, mm-hmm. where Ian would draw a portrait, and I would uh, I would basically, without without telling me anything, we would just draw a picture, and then I would say I would, you know, do a biography for this person. Hmm. Uh, and obviously, it's the usual sort of Ian uh, sort of darkly grotesque people, and. Uh, and so, as I say, you know, so a few people were saying, no, why don't you make that into a comic and stuff like that. So I came away from that thinking, right, okay, well, it's kind of now or never. I really need to do this. And uh, so that's when I started, uh, I guess, when I came back, tail end of 2014, was spent writing Sleeping Dogs, mm-hmm. which was the first comic that I put out, um, which, is, again, was just a one-shot uh, sort of Scottish set crime story. And uh, and after I did that, you know, it's just kind of snowballed from there. I just got the bug. Hmm. Um, the the format that you have been uh, using to to do these one shots and um, uh, is that is that because you like the idea of completion, or is there um, is that how your your story mind works? There's like a beginning, middle, and end, or, or do you do you feel like you want to be doing a long form thing that goes for many issues at some stage doing series yeah mm-hmm. uh, well the answer to, to that question is, uh, is is yes on both counts I think <laughs> I mean I started off I, I started off with a one shot because it seemed like an achievable goal mm-hmm. uh, first and foremost uh, and a lot of people uh, when you ask them about uh, starting out in comics will tell you start small you know, if you can get an eight pager in an anthology mm-hmm. or something, but at least do something. You know, do something with a, you know, that, that's fine. Don't 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 try and start off with your 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 sixty issue sort of preacher magnum opus. You know, mm-hmm. uh, or do, but you know, you know, be be aware that that might be a problem. Uh, so it just seemed like an achievable thing to do, and I think you're that that's uh, you're probably right. I think my mind. More often than not, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll see stories more, I guess, in terms of a sort of a movie narrative, mm-hmm. you know, where, where it will have a definite ending. Um, and so it seemed quite natural to do it that way. Plus, there's a lot of practical reasons, for example. Uh, and again, just talking to people, it became obvious that they were practical reasons because, again, you know, I'm starting off from a position where absolutely nobody knows who I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Lees had very graciously allowed me to share table space with him at Thought Bubble, so that gave me a target uh, to have a book ready for. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, and I liked the idea of having something that was a calling card, basically that basically showed people here I can make a comic, I can make a make a make a good comic, and they could take it away, and they wouldn't have to try and find me next year or track me down online, and and there wouldn't you know it wouldn't be demanding a lot of effort from people, mm. so. You know, just taking away, trying to take away these barriers from people trying it out. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, that was that was one of the reasons. But obviously, as I've got more into it, I mean, Alex Automatic originally was supposed to be a one shot, mm-hmm. but James and I enjoyed working together. And by the time we'd finished uh, Alex Automatic, we had loads more ideas. Mm. Uh, so that that will now be, I think, at least eight issues. Mm. Although you know, I do have an end in mind, uh, but as I say, I think it'll, you know we've got we've got tons of. I've just sent uh, <laughs> I've just sent poor James today an eight or nine page outline for uh, for you know just sort of describing in broad strokes how I see things going for the next you know the next few issues, mm-hmm. uh, which you know obviously as we as we alluded to earlier, he's uh, he's saddled with having to draw. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so so I'm thinking more along those lines now, and I think again as you get more, you know, you get more experience, you get you get a bit more confident, and then you start maybe to think about oh maybe I could do a mini series, maybe mm. I could do uh, you know I mean I've got I've got an, you know I've got the, one of one of the things that I'm hopefully going to be able to get off the ground by by the end of this year uh, is going to be a four part mini series, mm-hmm. uh, which which I already have. A second four-part miniseries arc for, uh, so but again these things all depend on whether or not anybody buys them or is interested in them, and uh, and that's when you know the logistics of uh, doing you know doing kickstarters for ongoing series and stuff like that, which isn't easy, and you know, was another reason why I was leaning towards one shots and. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because uh, obviously with we we an ongoing series, you're always going to get a bit of a bit of reader drop off, hmm. uh, and uh, and you know, then you have to start asking yourself questions about right, well, when do I, when when should I try and trade it? When should I try and trade it? And all that kind of stuff. And it's it starts uh, getting into all that kind of admin management <laughs> stuff that we were talking about earlier, uh, which I know you you'll have experienced as well with the comics you do. Yeah. Uh, you have to make these decisions, uh, and, and usually you have to make these decisions, and, and, and kind of in a, in, 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 a, in a well, not really a vacuum. I suppose there's advice. People are always quite happy. The comics community are usually very good at, uh, at giving you advice and stuff like that. But again, at the end of the day, you have to pull your trigger on on something that uh, that you've not done before, and you're not really sure whether it's going to work or not. Mm. Um, so yeah, so so. So planning, you know, there are a lot of barriers, I suppose, a lot of mental barriers, confidence barriers to uh, planning something out a bit longer that you are going to publish yourself. Uh, but I think it's a, you know, it's a good idea to do that if, uh, you know, because otherwise, you know, I mean, you could just do one shots for the rest of your life, that's absolutely fine. But uh, I think you always want to try and, well, you know, I've done that now, let's move on and try something a bit bigger, a bit, a bit bolder. Mm-hmm. Do you um do you like self publishing or do you are you looking to start to pitch things out and have someone take all of that off your hands or is there? I yeah I absolutely love self publishing. Uh-huh. I really like 
I really like it. I mean, I, I, I complain about it. <laughs> I, I burn myself out on it to the point where, like, you know, after after the edge of Kickstarter campaign was finished, having been obsessed with this for like six weeks, uh, and and really really busy with it during the campaign. Mm-hmm. I, again, I think sometimes you just have to recognise when you're pushing. But you know, obviously, you're doing all these things. While also, you know, one of the things we need to mention is you're doing all these things while you're also working at your job, mm-hmm. doing all your family stuff, you know, making sure, you know, just all the daft stuff like making sure your dog's walked and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> and that you're spending time with your family and not neglecting that. And, but, you know, you have to take a break from, from these things, but I really do enjoy it. I really do enjoy it. I like all the nitty gritty, I like all sorting things out, I like fixing the problems, uh, I like doing the promo stuff. I really enjoy doing that, mm-hmm. uh, and and again, I think it, it's something that uh, I've got better at, and uh, I've you know I've in, I've, in, I've enjoyed learning about that and, and picking up stuff from other other creators, uh, and uh, so yeah, I really do like that. Uh, that said, I have organised some pitches, mm-hmm. uh, and I, and I will uh, you know it would be great. If uh, somebody wants to pick up something that I'm I'm doing, but I would probably, you know, I mean, I'd, uh, yeah, I, it would be interesting to see how involved they would let me be in that, mm-hmm. uh, because what you know, ultimately, uh, it's really good. It's, you know, one of the, one of the things about this is it's really good to have that control, to have that control over the final product, uh, and I guess depending on. The terms of uh, of your agreement with a publisher, you may or may not have that. Mm. Uh, you may or may not uh, work well with a with the editor you're assigned. Whereas now I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pick who I work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, so yeah, so I really do like it. I, I think really what I what I sort of secretly hope might happen is that somebody might ask me to write a license book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really fancy doing that. Uh, obviously, depending on on what the what the property is, mm-hmm. I would I, I would I think that would be a nice next step, and just sort of getting my foot in the door of of, of the sort of professional side of things. Mm. Uh, however, obviously, if somebody picks up uh, a picture, and you know you'll probably know yourself that uh, mm. you know the chances of that happening are. Are, are low, they're slim because uh, people are picking up very little. Hmm. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'm 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 trying those I'm trying those avenues. And the good thing about self-publishing, the good thing about Kickstarter means that uh, if you uh, pitch something and it doesn't get picked up, you can just make it yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you because I, I really abhor the idea. I, I know I've got lots of people who. Uh, lots of friends who uh, pitch constantly and are constantly knocking stuff out. Really good ideas, smart ideas. Sometimes they're writing it, uh, you know, they're writing out a full at least one issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but they're writing a, you know, they're writing a tight pitch document, uh, commissioning people to do, you know, six eight pages of artwork, do some concept stuff. And these things all look great, and then they, they don't go anywhere, and then they're like, oh, well, and they stick them in a drawer. Mm-hmm. And I would absolutely, yeah, that, that would kill me if, uh, you know, if, if I thought something that I really liked uh, wasn't going to get made, I would just make it myself. 
and that's you know that's a that's a nice freedom uh, that, that I guess you know sort of Kickstarter and modern publishing and and being able to sort of crowdfund stuff uh, where you know to the point where you really only need a few dozen people to be interested to be able to make them. Yeah, uh, that's great. So it kind of you know I would have been very wary, I think, about pitching stuff to publishers uh, if that if that didn't exist. If, uh, if it wasn't for the fact that you know I could just say to myself, well, if if they don't like this, I can I can just make it. And uh, there's an element of uh, kind of well, I'll show them. Mm. <laughs> uh, and that I suppose uh, <laughs> because uh, you know I mean obviously as any as any artist uh, <laughs> would say, uh, you know how how dare they not want to publish my thing? Mm. But uh, but I think you know it's it's a nice I guess a kind of safety net. Uh, to to make sure that your your spirit isn't entirely crushed, yeah. Uh, when when you get a few rejections in, because I think that's probably apart from marketing and promoting yourself, that's probably the thing that stops people working in comics more than anything else. Constant rejection hmm. uh, and the fact that there just aren't a lot of opportunities out there. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, there, there are opportunities. I'm not saying they're not, but there's, uh, you know, there, 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 there are literally, you know, probably tens of thousands of people trying to, trying to be comic creators. Mm. Uh, my 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 comment on that would be, you already are one, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so you know, you don't really need anybody else's approval. I look at a lot of comics that come out. Uh, that are produced by professional companies. A lot of stuff at Marvel and DC uh, seems to be really, really good in spite of the the system that produces it rather than because of. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it seems to be a very odd way of making, making something creative. Uh, but even, you know, even so, you, you know, they, obviously they tend to hire the best people. Uh, so you do get some stuff through there that's absolutely outstanding even though it's a it's a, a fairly odd sort of corporate machine mm. but even sort of small boutique publishers ultimately they know more about the publishing industry than I do yeah and they know more about uh, the engineer you know they maybe know more people and they know how the industry works a bit better than I do but they don't necessarily know you know I, I, you know what was a good story better than me mm. uh, or, or you or, or whoever Uh and and that's fair enough because obviously they've set up their boutique, their, their boutique imprint to to print stuff that they like, yeah, which is absolutely fine. Uh, but uh, I, I think that that really damages a lot of people when uh, you know when they don't get you know they maybe they maybe pitch stuff to publishers that they they really like and they find that it doesn't it doesn't fit with what they're wanting to do. Or, uh, or, or or for whatever reason, rejection is tough to take, hmm. uh, particularly with something that uh, that you're you know you're you're fond of, and uh, and as I say, I think being able to make comics yourself and self-publishing, uh, if you are good and confident uh, that, that the work you're producing is, is is as good as it can be, then uh, you know you've got nothing to be embarrassed about mm-hmm. in terms of just getting that out there and uh, and and as I say trying to aiming for being as good as whatever else is out 
Mm. You you mentioned uh, the, the like the working a day job and and um, fitting in creating around that you, what, what is your do you write every day or do you have a set time a schedule that you, you settle down to, to write at or is it more fluid than yeah it's a bit I'm, I'm afraid I know uh, a lot of people who, who probably are a lot, an awful lot more disciplined than me I will certainly do something uh, to do with a creative project on a day every day mm-hmm. uh, whether or not that's writing it you know, depends on how much time I have uh, as I say, I work. Uh, <clears throat> I work for the court service in Scotland. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a civil servant, uh, basically. So I work there four days a week, and I have uh, a Wednesday off, which I do. I use to uh, to do the commercial writing work that I still do, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 more or less, uh, if I have any other time, uh, anything creative that that I'm working on at that time. And other than that, it's evenings and weekends. When you know when I can get to it, mm-hmm. uh, so it, it really depends. I think if you're uh, if I'm working on something, uh, then I'm, I'm yeah I'm, I'm going to be on it until it's finished. You know more or less every spare minute. Uh, however, at the moment, for example, I haven't written anything apart from I guess that. Uh, Alex Automatic stuff, which is kind of outline stuff, really just blue sky and really, mm-hmm. uh, and sort of brainstorming stuff. Uh, really, for for a, for a while, mm. uh, I, I wrote a I wrote a pitch project for a series a few weeks ago, and uh, and I haven't I haven't scripted anything for a while. Mm-hmm. A couple of wee couple of wee bits and bobs. Mm. Uh, so so yes, I so at the minute uh, that you know I'm probably what's probably going to be next is going to be the next issue of Alex, mm. uh, which will be uh, issue four. Cause I've already finished issue three. Uh, I'm just trying to think in terms of can I give you any <laughs> sort of facts, facts and figures here, any sort of rhyme or reason to this? I've maybe written about forty or fifty pages of script this year, mm-hmm. really, which isn't a lot. But uh, but there's an awful lot of work, obviously, has gone into other stuff that was written before. You know, the Edge Off was written. It was finalised, I guess, at the tail end of 2017, but it was written a long time before that. Mm. Uh, and Ian and I went back and forth on it uh, quite quite a lot. But uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of the work is as uh, as is, 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 I guess rewriting, planning. Pitching, st- you know, pitch project stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, sitting down and scripting. If, if I'm in the middle of a script, but again, I don't. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'd be curious to know how how you do it mm. uh, because there's there's a you know this isn't a very uh, professional approach to it at all. I would imagine. <laughs> <clears throat> um, if, I... I'm, if I've got a you know if I've got a uh, an idea that I'm going to write. Uh, I will need an outline page where I've more or less worked out everything that's going to happen, if not necessarily in terms of scenes, mm-hmm. then certainly chunk, chunks of scenes so that I can see four or five page sequences uh, that, that are going to knit together to make a comic. Mm-hmm. And then when I see that and I have that, and that, you know, that's easier said than done. It's kind of like uh, boiling something down to an essence. <clears throat> and uh, and when 
when you've got that, then the scripting comes relatively easily. But it's getting to that. You, you know, first of all, I'll do character outlines. I'll, I'll you know, obviously, first of all, I'll have a big long, uh, you know, outline that is terrible and happen, you know, ninety percent of it ends up getting shut up out and you gradually distill it down to that so that can take a couple of weeks mm. in and of itself uh, and that's just you know i mean you, you you'll know yourself uh, you, you can sit and stare at a page or stare at your computer for ages when you've got time to do it and the actual ideas you end up using are, are when you're out walking the dog or trying to get to sleep at night mm-hmm. <laughs> uh and you know the, the, the actual agony of of oh god i'm terrible i can't think of any ideas that's because you're trying to force your brain to come up with ideas, you can You know, I find that very difficult to focus uh, when you know I have that maybe a two-hour window before I have to go to work or I go and I have to go and do something, mm-hmm. and then uh, you know, and I feel terrible to have wasted that time. But of course, you just try to force something out of your brain. It's just it's not going to be forced. Uh, you can force yourself to sit and script, I think, mm. but you can't really force quality ideas. Uh, and you know, well, I can't anyway. I mean, and, you know, I'd be, I'd be very envious of somebody who could. Uh, and then once that happened, again, scripting, uh, you, you try and you try and get to the point where, when you're scripting, you're not running into, oh, you know, things like, oh my god, oh, so how does it get from here to here? Mm. Oh no, I've completely messed that out. And, and by you know, so by the time you're scripting, you're hopefully past all that. But while you're scripting, you will always come up against a problem like that that you've not considered. So, uh, so usually scripting can take a week, two weeks, mm-hmm. uh, depending on how much time I've got, depending on how many, you know, how, how well I've done my homework, I suppose. Uh, and I, I, I don't know what about yourself. Um, I tend to. I mean, I, I've I've had a. Um, a, a big break from writing recently just in uh, the, the mechanics of it hasn't been as easy as it, it used to be but uh, my approach has always been that I think about it a lot for, for a long time and kind of map it out in my head and um, when I get to a stage where I have an idea of how the story is going to go and I get a strong visual element that comes to me very clearly then I know that I'm kind of ready to go with that. And then I will, um, sometimes I'll sit down and I'll do very rough notes or very quick thumbnails just to make sure that the pages are working, that I've got the right flow or the right panel amount in each page. And then it's just sitting down to write it. And um, uh, the I, I normally write a full script, but I've, uh, I was speaking to a couple of people. I spoke to a, a writer called Jeremy Holt yesterday, and he was saying that one of the, his approaches is to do the dialogue uh, last, to do a script without dialogue. And um, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of interested in trying that. I know it's it's not quite the Marvel method. There's, there's a little mm. more like um, art direction in there, I guess, for the, for the artist. But I'm curious because there, there has been times where I've and and this this again touches on that whole idea of like doing the administrative side of creating, where you finish the script, you give it over to an artist, and the artist starts work on it, and you're just you're so glad that our pages are coming back to you, that the, the editor side of your brain just goes, yeah, whatever, I'm not paying attention, and you know, there's <laughs> there, there, I, I finished a, a book recently, and um, 
it was only when I had the printed copies in my hand and I was looking, I was like, ah, that character and that character have switched places. They've completely, the, the looks of them have completely switched in the last issue. And, uh, and it's quite, quite distinct looks for both of them. And, right. uh, you know, I could have, if I had paid attention when the first page of art had come in for the last issue, I could have gone, oh, hang on, um, that's that character. But, but I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> so 32 pages later, I was like, oh, okay, well, uh, if anyone asks, uh, the, I'll explain it later. I'll do like the old uh, novel, yeah. no page. Yeah. Come up with a reason for that now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, yeah. we'll let them figure it out. And uh... <laughs> yeah. no, it's interesting because I, I mean, again, I think a lot of the ways, a lot of the times, the way you work depends on who you're working with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, because uh, I, I, I script very much like you know just a, like the traditional scripting method for for, for James. Mm -hmm. James and I tend to sort of uh, talk about stuff before we start it. Right. Uh, James is really good at coming up with ideas for, as you know, with Alex Automatic, it's about a character who spends a lot of time in a, in a kind of, you know, this sort of fantastical delusion that he's a cyborg super spy. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's really good at coming up with these these kind of scenarios, uh, whereas I'm probably, certainly more recently, have been thinking more about the long game in terms of the actual plot of the story. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's really good at coming up with stuff like that, coming up with like villains, uh, and, uh, and and just you know weird, uh, weird villains, and uh, and characters, and, and just just adding in wee bits of colour and detail. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas uh, and and with that, I will write out a full script. Uh, and again, it's, it's interesting. Uh, you you were talking to that other writer who was saying that sometimes he'll he'll script without adding the dialogue. Sometimes I'll write only dialogue mm. uh, or, or or I will write a page knowing that I will have to go back and uh, the, the dialogue that I've written is very much filler, uh, sort of first draft dialogue, if you like, mm -hmm. really above above the line and crappy. But, uh, but gen generally speaking, uh, if you've done your, well, for me anyway, if I've done my homework on the characters and I've, and uh, I know who the characters are and how they speak and how, you know, just how they are in mm -hmm. my head. Usually the dialogue doesn't, you know, it comes reasonably easily. But some days not. So I'll do what you you know, what, uh, what what the other chap uh, was done and just and just write out the action and not and you know wait till I'm I'm feeling a bit sharper mm -hmm. and do the do the and you know obviously this is all the stuff that. Uh, that James never sees because this is, you know, this is kind of how the sausage is made stuff. Mm. Uh, if he saw how ramshackle and terrible some of the early drafts are, he probably wouldn't work with me. <laughs> uh, and then after I, after I finish a draft, I'll give it to uh, to the editor mm. who will uh, who will then come back and and uh, obviously point out all my terrible spelling and grammar errors, uh, as well as uh, trying to, you know, just squeeze out. The last sort of drops of juice out there, which is really where the value of working with an editor that you trust mm -hmm. uh, comes in, uh, because that's uh, it's something that I think a lot of people would probably be wary of and maybe be a bit worried about. Oh, you know, is somebody going to 
uh, you know, somebody going to tell me that this thing, you know, this idea that I really like is terrible and I have to change it all. And, mm. uh, and that, I guess, that may happen. But uh, it's really, you know, obviously, if you're hiring somebody, it's really up to you <laughs> whether or not you take that advice. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but, but generally speaking, if you're working with somebody that you like and you trust, and uh, you, you know, you trust their instincts of the story, and they're in, you know, they're part of the team and invested in the story, then uh, yeah, li- listen to what they're telling you because it's usually for the best. Mm. Uh, and that helps you uh, get it as good as possible. So as I say, by the time uh, James gets to see a, a, a script for Alex Automatic, it's, uh, it's it's pristine and wonderful, you know. <laughs> but it, it was, wasn't always like that. Mm. Uh, however, but working with Ian, for example, Ian Laurie, he's far more collaborative. Uh, Ian's a very talented writer, as well as being a, a terrific artist. Uh, and he's a great ideas guy. He'll, you know, you go to the pub with him, and he'll toss off half a dozen great ideas for stories, uh, just while you're sitting in the pub. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's, he's a really good, not even just at weird stuff. He's good at high concept stuff. It's uh, a really good ideas man. Mm. Uh, and uh, and so I really, obviously, I've been friends with him and work, working with him for a long time. Uh, I really respect. Uh, where Ian's coming from, and you know, and and, uh, and his creative talent. So we, I mean, I wrote the script for uh, for the edge of, uh, but we went back on back and forth on that, and, and Ian would sort of add in bits and bobs, and he would be like, "Can I? I don't really like that." So in effect, I suppose he, to an extent, was editing that, mm-hmm. uh, and would add in his own stuff. Uh, and add in, you know, for example, uh, in, in the edge of the, uh, add the character having a cane uh, initially, and uh, Ian was looking at, I don't like the cane, so I was looking at it, so I just kind of implicitly trust Ian's right, and they bother, the cane's gone, mm-hmm. next draft, no, there's no cane, uh, and there, there needed to be a visual uh, indication that he'd, uh, yeah, he'd been injured, that he'd suffered in some way mm-hmm. because there's an incident knowledge to that in the story. Uh, however, we just changed what that was. And and, and just stuff like uh, initially uh, his, his weapon was a gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, again, Ian's like, can I, can I draw guns? Uh, <laughs> don't, like, <laughs> don't like drawing guns. Don't ever ask Ian to, to, to draw guns or cars. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, don't like draw guns. Uh, what can we change it into? And we ended up just having like a kind of a shiv style sharpened uh, screwdriver, mm-hmm. uh, which I think again is is, is uh, you know is more visceral and effective. Mm. Uh, so yeah, as I say, you just sort of trust his instincts for, for things like that. Mm. But uh, but yeah, as I say, that was much more collaborative, and we uh, really the script only worked well, and and we felt it was reflective of both of us, and would be something that represented us both. After we'd had a couple of Skype chats mm-hmm. uh, about it, I went back and forth on that because even yeah, over a Skype, over a Skype video chat, you can uh, you know he was he was able to draw. Well, here's how I see this, but and you know, uh, it, you know, it's a, a lot easier than trying to discuss something over over the phone or uh, or, or by email. Yeah. Uh, so in that sense, that was that you know that that was a bit more. Uh, yeah, that was a bit different to how I normally work, uh, and uh, but the end result was, you know, 
was uh, was was really satisfying for both of us, I think. Mm-hmm. But for uh, a good time doing it, and I would, you know, as I say, I would. I, 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 what it's given me is obviously an experience of a different way of working. So mm-hmm. that's been a useful thing for me as well. Because yeah. uh, I think I, I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of people in in, in their you know, if they're writers or if they're artists or whatever it is, and uh, and they you know they, they'll maybe see their role as. Uh, you know, maybe be a bit precious about it, and that's obviously. I certainly was uh, years ago, hmm. uh, and uh, you know, you have to let go of that stuff just to, you know, just, you know, just to allow, just to allow the create creativity to flow. It's, uh, you know, you just gradually learn to let go of that stuff and just let the, you know, let what's best for the work mm-hmm. uh, sort of carry you along. Yeah. Um, Fraser, where do where would you like people to find your work online? You have um, you said you got more Alex Automatic coming, and Edge Off is finished now. And um, yes, where, that's right. Yeah, uh, where's the best? Uh, yeah. Sorry. No, that's okay. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where, where, where would you find me? The best place to find me usually is Twitter. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I am on Twitter uh, at at Fraser C69. Uh, I also have a wee uh, blog, which is uh, alexautomaticblog.wordpress.com. Uh, well, I'll, I'll post uh, the odd article here and then when the fancy takes me. There's quite a lot up there just now, for example, about the kind of influences and uh, the, the process of making the edge off. Uh, so if you're interested in that kind of thing, you can go there. Uh, but yeah, that's that's where you can find me. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for for taking the time to talk with me. Hi, not all, man. It was a pleasure. That's it for the show. We'll be back in two weeks. You can find us online at whoiampodcast.com and contact us by email at whoiam at gmail.com or by phone at 818-308-4066. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, there is a submissions form on the site. We're also on iTunes where you can leave a rating if you feel inclined. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jamie Gamble, and this was This Is Who I Am.